0: the book yeah that is the book i wish that that countdown went a little bit faster so the listeners don't could have heard that hello welcome to unfortunately required reading where uh we are separate because amanda has allergies and depression
1: yeah and it's probably probably good (laughs) because then i didn't really have to put as much effort in so i had to go get a blood draw this morning which i'm very very thankful that my doctor's office is open on saturdays because that's very rare out here And uh, so they were able to get me in. I laughed so hard though because I go in, I've got my full mask on because they're very big about you have to wear a mask Mm -hmm. regardless of whatever studies say right Mm -hmm. now they're like wear a mask. Mm -hmm. So I go in, I'm ready, I'm prepared. I'm ready to check in. I'm there 10 minutes early. I've got everything ready to go. Right after I sit down within five minutes, two separate guys walk in, Mm -hmm. neither of them have a mask on and they both go, Oh shit, my bad. And like the girl like we'll give them one the the lady who's uh, checking people in Mm. and it was so funny because they were all like right on time for their appointment no mask and i'm like am i better than everyone (laughs) which the answer is no but uh i love the 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 lady who works for quest she and i had a really good conversation today and they finally gave her a room to work in that's not like a broom closet Oh, that's awesome. I have to get blood work done a lot because I
0: have a lot of chronic health conditions and anemia. Um, but I, so I was a dumb kid. I was a very fearless child. Like most children are. They don't understand the concept of death. I was a very fearless child. I developed all of my fears in my 20s. <laughs> so now I'm horribly afraid of needles. I'm horribly afraid of that stuff. So I'm sitting there on my phone playing bejeweled like a 50 year old wine mom with my neck as far away turned from the woman using the softest baby needle because I have the softest baby
1: veins mine I've got it down to a science now and I think this is just us being fun times chronically ill um I'll just walk in I point at my arm I show the exact spot I go This is probably the only place you're going to be able to get blood out. Nine times out of ten, they're able to get it, no problem. Mm -hmm. That is trial and error over 38 years, y'all. Because, I mean, people used to try and get it from, like, the center vein, like, right where your arm bends. No, my veins aren't ready to play. If I was a heroin user, it would be impossible. It would have to be injected between my toes. Because it's, like, impossible to get these veins to cooperate um, and if they put it in the top of my hand, then it's bruised for like the next six weeks. I can't yes. do not. It yeah. is ridiculous. When I had surgery yeah. on my abdomen, it was like to get my gallbladder out. It's nothing exciting. Um, the scars hurt less than my hand did yeah. after a few days. So. I was actually accused know?
0: of being an IV drug, li- drug user once in the hospital because my veins were so poor and also racism. Uh. But I had to do blood work because I was in um, the ER and the nurse said, how long have you been using injectables? It's like, ne- ne- never,
1: never. I'm just, I don't. Uh. Is it bad that my brain went injectables and then put in Uncrustables? And I'm like, I don't I don't know. I can't even.
0: Because I can't have peanut butter. We're talking about uh, Doctor Zhivago today because it's technically a romance, and we also feel like negging Russia.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, really fun story. My husband tried to play that atomic heart game, and he gave it up real quick because he's like, "This is just Russian fucking propaganda." Yeah. And that's and and if you've been listening to the podcast for all, you know I had very very deep interest in Russia and Slavic yeah. Paganism. And mythology and stuff like that. Um, it is It is moved. It is moved. Um, I feel bad for the Russian people. And I will, will say that. Because there's a lot of very young people. In St. Petersburg and Moscow. And other areas. Mm-hmm. That want nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course they're being silenced.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because that's what Russia does. Um, and has always done. Mm-hmm. And when we go into a little bit of the background of this book, you're gonna hear that why, hear that too. Um, Russia hates this book. Yeah, hates this book, um, and that's for a lot of reasons. Um, what What are you drinking right now? Because I stuck with diet coke because my stomach is crazy right now.
0: Um, I made a vodka soda with Sprite, and I have this pear elderflower vodka
1: <laughs> in a mug from Japan. I mean, that works. So. So fun story before we begin, one of the things, the contributing factors to the Russian Revolution is Tsar Nicholas II deciding to go to war with Japan over a port. Yes. And then them proceeding to get their ass kicked and having spent a ton of money. So the Japan Cup actually works for this. It does. Um, Also,
0: while we're completely sidebarring, Victoria, would you like to tell uh, the listeners at home Uh, What I had to hide before maintenance came over. Oh
1: my God. Oh my God. Do you want me to discuss it in its gigantic glory? Yes. Okay. It's not that big. Fun story. I'm talking to Amanda this week. We talk to each other pretty much every day, unless one Mm -hmm. of us is super depressed. And then we're just like, I'm alive. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. And that goes back and forth. It is not just Amanda, it is not just me. Like it is it is a spectrum. Anyhow, Amanda has maintenance coming over. She looks up, she has a large fake dick on her bookshelf. Yep. That it has a a pierced tip, friends.
0: Oh, it's pierced all the way.
1: It is it is not something that maintenance would probably understand. Now keep in mind, my husband worked maintenance when we first got married. So Mm -hmm. he's seen some shit, and thankfully. He is not your maintenance man. Because that would have been a really awkward conversation. <laughs> Amanda goes, I got to make sure I take that off the shelf. Forgets. And then as the maintenance man is coming to the door. Takes it from the shelf. And yeets it across the room to the couch to hide it. And <laughs> all I can pic- could picture was Amanda throwing this pierced dick across the room. And it just like in my head it grew wings and just flew and i'm sorry baron von Cheeseplate, that you're listening to this but baron von yes. Cheeseplate
0: knows for context i'm gender fluid um so the dick is a packer it's not like anything super super lewd it's gender affirming but i don't really wear it out of the house because i have giant tits and a fat ass and I don't really pass for mail anymore. And I feel like walking around with a giant bulge and fat tits is a great way to get sexually harassed. So I don't really wear it outside of like very specific cosplay or like needing to feel affirmed at home. Uh, which is why it's on the bookshelf and not like somewhere more sacred. Uh, but it's like I should probably hide this before maintenance comes over
1: trying to explain it so i didn't i didn't know what a packer was until um one of my very good friends that i worked with who mm-hmm. was a lesbian and amazing mm-hmm. and was like yeah i'm gonna go to the club i'm gonna be packing and i'm like you're gonna carry a gun and that was a very <laughs> informative conversation and i love her so much and she's living her best life in vegas now And uh, See, and Thank I've never,
0: I haven't asking. even thought of it like that in so many years because I, I mean, one, I'm very anti-gun or at least like I'm very anti-modern gun. But like, I've, not, I've never had to consider that if someone doesn't know what I've been referencing, if I just go now, oh, I'm going to go back tonight. Like, why are you carrying a weapon? But yeah, so those are the conversations. I mean, it be used as a weapon it is 100 it, 100%, on it is 100 percent silicone and thoroughly pierced so yes it probably i was could. gonna say did you see lock
1: stock and two smoking barrels you for know someone can get killed by one of these
0: <laughs> yes uh so these are the conversations your hosts have during the week <laughs> let's talk um, about um a series of sad russian people
1: okay so this is the this is actually for once the short story long is shorter than the book which the for book the first time in. ever and too much to read in two weeks when you don't want to feel sad all the time but anyway sure. so yuri Zhivago is a young man who sees his mother die when he's super young so mm-hmm. we start at her funeral his dad really isn't around and he doesn't understand this until his dad until like his mom drops dead mm-hmm. and he's raised by his uncle kolya who is a priest who was asked to be defrocked which i don't need any more hot priests in my life thank you um Yuri ends up going to university in Moscow and studies medicine. I'm having the hardest time not being like Moskova, which is stupid. I know. Um, he meets a woman named Tanya. They get married after her mom kind of makes a promise that they will get married. Mm-hmm. And they have a little boy. I don't know where all my typos are this week, but here they are. They have a little boy named Sasha. I fixed them. Um, so. it's, it's work time um, because it's Russia. And Yuri becomes a medical officer in the army. He mm-hmm. gets stationed in a very small town, which there's not a whole lot going on there. He does mm-hmm. complain about the placement of the stove, which I thought was hilarious. Yes. Um, he runs into a young woman named Laura, who's, yeah, he's actually met two separate times under really, really upsetting circumstances. The first time he meets Laura, she is at a home of a woman who has just tried to commit suicide turns out that's her mom and Laura Um, is asleep on this couch and he's like oh she's so pretty and she's like a teenager so I'm going to let that go Yes. Um, yes. the second time Laura is at a party where she tries to shoot a guy named Komarovsky who has been like who evidently seduced her and then like was holding that over her head and instead Mm -hmm. she accidentally wounds a dude who is a prosecutor which is always a bad plan Yes. Um, she ends up, she, Laura gets married to a guy named Pasha Antipov um, or Antipov, which mm-hmm. kind of is how she's referred to a lot in the book is by his last name. Um, after her husband joins the military he goes missing. Laura leaves their daughter behind um, with family and becomes endorsed for the military and she goes west to try and find her missing soldier husband just because she's like, what the hell happened to him? He stopped writing. Um, Yuri finds himself super into Laura when they run into each other but he's like, I can't do this. He goes back to his wife and son in Moscow. There's a whole part about how he, like, will stand outside her door once he figures out what room is hers. But then he's like, I can't go through with it. And mm-hmm. he even, like, is justifying for a while, going, I don't even know where her room is in this house. like, Which is super sketchy. Yeah. Um, his family, like, when he gets back to Moscow, is struggling for food and basics like firewood to eat their home. There's a whole bunch of stuff about people disassembling old fences and breaking down furniture and turning that into firewood Mm -hmm. um the people who were wealthy often will volunteer like bottles of old schnapps and stuff that they have in their house Mm -hmm. um people are desperate At, at one point in time he brings over like a duck and a and they get a bottle of vodka and but they have no side dishes for the duck and nothing to accompany the vodka so it becomes kind of this whole thing of like sometimes When you're standing alone with your luxuries you don't really, it's not really a luxury and you really just kind of it's a whole thing. Anyway um, they end up moving to um, Vardinico. It's an estate his grand or her grandfather, Tanya's grandfather used to own, Mm -hmm. which has been turned into a collective, so that's a big thing. Um, Once the serfs were freed, they ended up You know, having to go somewhere. And then, as you know, the Russian Revolution starts, they start to make collectives and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, They get there after a really long and difficult trip. They find food and wood and are like, oh, great. Um, Yuri ends up going to the neighboring town to use their library and runs into Lara again. They begin an affair that lasts a couple months, and Yuri decides to break it off and confess everything to his wife. Mm -hmm. But as he's going back home, he gets captured by the partisan army and they force constricted. as a doctor they're like oh we need doctors and he's like uh i don't want to be part of this and they're like sure you do um he's stuck he with did. the army through the war between the wh- white russians and communist reds which i'll probably have to explain um Absolutely. when he is released he goes to find laura they spend months together and they go into hiding mm-hmm. uh laura's former husband is a leader in the urals um with the um the reds and but he's also wanted for his crimes Komarovsky who Laura does not care for um, tells everybody that they need to go east so they don't get killed because mm-hmm. war is coming and everybody's going to die um, Yuri's son and wife so Tanya and his son Sasha have been exiled to Paris and he's given the opportunity to join them they're like okay we'll get you out um, because of their associations they're what are called white Russians which where mm-hmm. the drink comes from um, and Yuri tricks Laura into taking her daughter and um Going off to the east with Komarovsky. But he remains behind. So he's like, I'll come with you. Don't worry. And then sends her off. And he's like, I'm going to face my fate here like a man. Which is a whole whole theme uh-huh. in this book. Uh-huh. He goes back to Moscow. Starts working. He ends up living with a woman named Marina. Who is the daughter of a family friend. And of course they have two kids. As um, you do. His old friends, Misha and Nikki. Tried to get him to decide between Tanya. His wife who's in France. And Marina. He finds a new job and dies of a heart attack on the first day, which is prescient because Pasternak ended up dying of a heart attack. That's neither here nor there, Um, well, of heart disease. And Laura comes to the funeral and asks Gary's half-brother if there's a way to track the location of a child who was given away to strangers. And they start putting pieces together. Uh, She disappears, as Laura does, likely dying Mm -hmm. in a concentration camp. Misha and Nikki end up fighting in World War II and run into a girl named Tanya. And they put the pieces together and find out that she is the daughter of Laura and Yuri uh, Zhivago. The end.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I voted towards choosing this. I don't know why either! But!
1: I think it's I- because I've only, like, seen the movie and the movie was hot. Wait, which one? With Kira Knightley or with uh, Barbara Streisand? Oh my god, hold on. The one from the 60s, it's Barbara. Yeah, it's the the 65 one. Okay,
0: 65 one. Because Alec Guinness is in it, and like... Yeah, so like, I remember forever ago seeing, like, bits and pieces of the 60s one. Because it's a three-hour movie, fun fact. The 60s one is three hours and 17 minutes. Um, But... I don't know why I
1: contributed to this. This was terrible. This was a bad idea. (laughs) So every time, except this time when I've been tempted to suggest a Russian novel Mm -hmm. for this show, Mm -hmm. I always have to remind myself they're very long. Yes, they are very depressing. Yes, they are. And there's going to be a lot of stuff in it that just makes me go, why? Mm -hmm. Um, and I like Russian literature, so go figure. But this this I I do not care for. However, yes, its historical impact is really important, and we'll yes. get into that. We okay will. So some things to kind of discuss before we get started. Yes. Um, there's a concept of the patronymic in Russian. So patriarchal society, mm-hmm. how you identify people, especially when there's a lot of people named Ivan. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You usually will use, there's a first and last name, but usually you'll also have the patronymic and the patronymic identifies who your father was. And this is, Mm -hmm. that's very common in countries like uh, Scandinavian countries and Iceland where you have the father's name and it's like son of, or Mm -hmm. in Ireland, O'Connor, son of Connor, Mm -hmm. Um, that kind of stuff. But for example, uh, the father's name will start at the beginning. So, for a guy, the last portion is Vich. So, if your father was Ivan, Nick, your patronymic is Ivanovich. Um, if you're a woman, it would be like Ivanova because it's Ova at the end or Ava, depending on. Um, so, that is very common. You have this a lot in this book. There's Alexevich, like, or Alexandrovich multiple times. Um, and it's just to kind of be like, oh, that's so and so's kid. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially, you know, when there's a lot of people in one small community, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Smaller towns and things like that. So, anyway, if you ever wondered why Russians will sometimes have three names at once, that's why. Yeah. the Russian Revolution sucked.
0: (laughs) I love that we're (laughs) skipping straight to
1: that one. I will go to Lonely's in a minute, but I want to give kind of some background. The Russian Revolution so gotta, was you'll, trash. <laughs> you'll hear a lot of stuff about Rasputin. You'll hear a lot of stuff that blames um, Nicholas II's wife. Yes, Nicholas II was not a good czar. He was not trained to be the czar. He was like the second. He was the spare. Um, the person. Aside, I in Queen Victoria. True though, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um... All of Europe at one point in time was mostly connected by Queen Victoria's children.
0: Yeah, She dies in
1: 1901. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Cutler, for making me remember that because my name is Victoria and you like to call me out in class. It's so 1901. She dies. Yes. Her kids and her grandkids are still around. Yes. Her one of her granddaughters ends up being like the princess of Greece and becomes Prince Philip's mom. Yes. who was married to Queen Elizabeth, right? So that still continued on for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Nikki's wife, Alexandrina, mm-hmm. was, I think, Queen Victoria's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, Europe didn't move against each other, no. even if there were, were rough pains or trade issues or things like that, because no one wanted to piss off Grandmama. Yes. Which... And like, and, and like,
0: literally, <clears throat> grandma. Like, there's a reason yeah. why in uh, Prince Harry's terrible book, which you should not read, he refers to her as grandma of grandmother of Europe. Yes, I've He's, read his he, horrible book. I'm part way through it. <laughs> I don't don't get. I don't want to start on royalist bashing, but like, I
1: don't like him, and I don't like his dumb book. <laughs> point noted. Um, so as far as the Russian Revolution goes, there's a lot of factors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not just, oh, Rasputin was here and nobody trusted him. Oh, maybe no. the Queen is sleeping with him, which she wasn't. Um, it's a very, very popular myth. Um, <laughs> why, are we protecting, it, why are we protecting the Queen's honor? I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm just saying like that's one have, of the common does... phrases that follows it. Because we like to disgrace women to make them look like they're worthy of blame, even when they're anyway. That's feminist nonsense, neither here nor there. So Nikki sucks as a czar, right? His his family previously has released the serfs from from their farms. So it's basically a form of slavery. It's not it's not as like African slavery where you know or like anything in in the islands where they're kidnapped and stuff like that. These it's, not been it's, it's not chattel slavery. It's basically not chattel slavery.
0: It's indentured servitude, but worse. Exactly. Like um because I will fight you on that. Because a lot of people have yeah. tried to make that like argument where it's like oh it was it was just like slavery. And like all the
1: black people rise up and it's like no it fucking wasn't. That's why I wanted to be specific there about my phrasing because no, you did great. Um so you have all these people who previously had been working on farms mm-hmm. and had been moved around by people, you know, getting married and doing that kind of thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: with no jobs because mm-hmm. people would be like, well, I don't want to pay you to work on my farm. You know, I used to just you had land and you did mm-hmm. that and you made your food like, no, I don't want to do that. So you had a lot of people moving to cities. You had a lot of people who were unemployed. You had a lot of people who mm-hmm. were starving and Having a real rough time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one of the initial stories about Nikki is Nikki, Tsar um, Nicholas II is his. Um, like we're buddies, anyhow. I know the the day of his like coronation, the celebration. Everybody comes forward, and it's a was a big cultural thing mm-hmm. where. Um, the leadership would provide vodka for the masses Mm -hmm. and somebody started a rumor in the crowd that there was not enough vodka for everybody and there was a rush and it ended up crushing a bunch of people and it was considered Mm -hmm. to be this big fall over him Mm -hmm. so following that he's not a good leader he doesn't really have any solutions for the serfs the people rise up and create what's called the duma which is basically like their house of representatives okay and I'm not going to let you sit here and bash Nicholas II
0: further. He was not a good leader for Russia. You can definitely see that his roots are somewhere else in a different time and for a different set of people. But I'm not going to sit here and let you continue to bash this man
1: who really was doing his best. The man used to run around the streets in his youth pretending to be a wolf with his friends and drinking champagne out of a tub, dude. And Victoria built little forts for her grandchildren
0: to play war games in. Almost like that ended up being fucking foreshadowing. You can see Albert's fort dug into the ground that you can just play in. Children still play in it. I want to play in it.
1: There we go. You want to play in it.
0: I do. I want to play war games in Victoria's little fortress.
1: So the Duma is formed. Um, the problem is they have no teeth because Nicholas is like, Here, you can have your little parliament or whatever you want, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to enforce your policies. So then Mm -hmm. he gets bored and disbands the Duma, which ends up giving power to a bunch of people who have been talking about socialism and talking about rising up. And we have Mm -hmm. the Bolsheviks rise up. Um, there, it, the, this book mentions a lot of hatred for the Bolsheviks for very good reason. We'll get into that, um, especially with his Pasternak's history and family. So you have the white Russians, which are those who are loyal to the czar and loyal mm-hmm. to the previous sense of government and how things are run. And then you have the red Russians, which are more socialism, more power to the people, more um, we're going to make collectives and group factories the problem is there is massive violence on both sides um when the story is told to the outside world and this is where pastor gets in trouble when it's told to the outside world it's oh the people rose up and it was a beautiful thing and everybody was happy and taken care of and look how beautiful our society is because Mm -hmm. that was the message that the ussr wanted the world to have it did not work that way it did not work smoothly and if you ever talk to people who were raised in the USSR, um, even like my age, there's like a lot of, <laughs> oh, yeah, about that. Um, it's it's rough. And Pasternak does not shy away from that in Dr. Zhivago, which got him into a lot of trouble. Yes. Um, so that's kind of a, a primer on the Russian Revolution. Um, there are much better sources to discuss it. But just to kind of give you some briefness.
0: We recommend the animated movie by Don Bluth, Anastasia. <laughs> no,
1: we do not. The most historically inaccurate movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mean, I like, watching me get mad about Anastasia. It's a whole thing. But I love that movie so much. Let's start singing in the dark of the night at you then. Okay. Please, don't, no, don't you threaten me with good you time. Life. <laughs> Don't you okay. threaten you with a good time? One of the themes in this book is loneliness, which I skipped over. But um, to talk about Russia, talk about Russia. Um, there, there is, is... A
0: lot of, there's a lot of loneliness in this sort of like modern postmodern sense of like you can be surrounded by people and still feel incredibly lonely. Um, because I guess you're a super super special boy and you don't feel connected to the rest of the world because of how super special of a boy you are.
1: Yeah, and a lot of it boils down to, like, Yuri always kind of has this this melancholy to him of where he struggles with connection. And, like, they kind of relate it back to, oh, his mom died when he was little. He was raised by his uncle who taught him to do certain things. Oh, his marriage to Tanya, you know, is... It's there, but you know, they're very different people and from different strata and things like that. Um, and it kind of like boils down to look, Laura really understands his soul. Okay. I mean, does she? But okay. So as you can probably tell, Amanda and I neither of us really enjoyed this book. That's a whole cool <laughs> other thing. Um, I would have I would have been much happier just re-watching The King's Man. I still need to see that. <laughs> Still haven't seen it. I know it's a sin. I have to tell my husband to find it. Anyway, um, I did watch The Unbearable unbearable Weight of Massive Talent last night, which was hilarious. so good. Nick Cage being Nick Cage is just magical and Pedro Pascal as always. Oh, Um, we can
0: watch that Jesus movie where Willem Dafoe is Jesus.
1: Okay, so Amanda was watching a whole thing yesterday on... White portrayals of Jesus. Do you want to tell us about that?
0: I was watching a video essay by Entertain the Elk. A video essayist that I love. I love Entertain the Elk. And he was talking about, you know, how Jesus looked. And he really focused in on white Jesus and how we got this cultural, you know, push for white Jesus. A lot of it's because of colonialism and how crappy the church is. And he goes over, like, this semi-modern list of depictions of Jesus that are white men. And in that list is Willem Dafoe and Joaquin Phoenix. And I had to message Victoria that because I don't know how I feel about living in a world. Because, especially the Willem Dafoe one, because, you know, he has the beard and everything. I was almost convinced, like, that guy looks a lot like Willem Dafoe. And then I paused I was like sure that's willem dafoe it was willem dafoe and like and joaquin was... phoenix was just joaquin phoenix as jesus who's married to mary magdalene which is not the story i thought i needed from joaquin phoenix i frankly need no stories with him except for gladiator
1: <laughs> except for gladiator listen listen <laughs> Okay. Coming back to the book, coming back to the book. So individualism in a time of collectivism, this is, this is alone would have been enough to get this book banned. And it was, but um, in a society where all you talk about is how everybody works together as the people, they work Mm -hmm. in collective, Mm -hmm. they work together with the means of production, each Mm -hmm. according to his needs having the narrative focus on an individual and his thoughts and his refusal to be like part of the collective and standalone Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing that enough would have been enough to get this book banned because it did not follow standard soviet thought um no it did not well at least what was given to everybody Not necessarily how that actually worked out with people in power.
0: Yeah, because, you know, when you pull the curtain back, a lot of people that said they wanted, you know, the common man to have access to everything. They sure did love withholding access to everything.
1: Mm -hmm. Or being the ones who got the first uh, choice of meat or being the ones who had two separate um, types of chocolate made in the same factory. One that went to party members and one that went to the people. Okay, as of as an only child, that sounds like something I would have done.
0: As an only child. As, an, as a firstborn of the grandchildren and an only child. That oh, sounds like, yeah. So I wasn't I, the firstborn of the grandchildren or an only child, so. <laughs> I was the firstborn of the grandchildren and I was my family's only child. I don't think I walked for the first like 5 years of my life. Not because I couldn't. I was never allowed to touch the ground.
1: You sound like my first
0: few cats. Oh, I wasn't I was a wretched little gremlin. I was terrible. Also, do we get to talk about uh Lennon's mummy?
1: Sure. Um I have a whole book on it. Now I want to go read it anyway. Um, so, because it's fun, Vladimir Lenin. Yes, not to be confused with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Lenin, <laughs> up as, Oops, confusing, an, an, a big figure. Um, and he, when he passed away, his body was preserved, and it was yeah. a big deal because people wanted to come to his funeral and say goodbye because he was the great leader. and all this shit his body still exists to this day which if that sounds fucking weird it should yeah they initially were just kind of like holding this funeral and continuing to have it so people could come see it they ended Mm -hmm. up building him like this tomb right like off of red square which is like the big area with all the military and and right next to um why can't i think of the name of it right now Mm -hmm. the kremlin thank you brain finally snapping back into place um (laughs) And they will close it once a year to refresh the body. Now, the chemicals that they use to preserve the body are a state secret. There is a specific team that works to preserve Mm -hmm. this body. Like, Mm -hmm. there are grants that are designed to continue to keep this up to date. At this point in time, the body is probably more plastic and more preservative that it is actual it's a, skin or it's body parts. a lot of formaldehyde and wax at this stage yes because um, it's been almost a hundred years
0: yeah it, there's i do remember there was a huge like ship of theseus problem because especially as you know people who were there started to grow older and die it was sort of like but he's not him anymore like at this stage he's mostly like Wax and Soviet secrets, which I mean, pop off. I guess um,
1: you are not allowed to photograph the body when you're in there. You are uh, it. You have to be silent. You do. You have to be dressed appropriately. Yes. it's like going to visit your grandmother's tomb. Like if you had that kind of luxury, it is. Which our family doesn't. I was like, "What um, the fuck are you talking about?" it's um it's a big deal like it's a big to deal. be able to go yeah and i mean i'm bummed i'm never gonna get to go and see that because well yeah
0: i i think it was like before it was before the war started when tori was in her russian phase i think like we briefly floated the idea of going to russia and then we realized we would not survive there
1: yeah i'm i'm way too Melty. um Well, and I I remember I had this whole discussion with my husband, and he's like, You're not going to get to go to Russia. And I'm like, Well, why not? He's like, Because it's fucking Russia. And keep in mind, this was like shortly after they had hosted like the World Cup and the Olympics and stuff like that. Yeah. It seemed briefly like maybe we were coming to an understanding. um, And then we realized that the Cold War never actually happened.
0: Yeah, when when they dragged out all the nice stuff before. Mm-hmm. When they drag out all the nice things, you know, to make it seem like everything was okay. Now, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but um, so the loneliness is interesting and also the individualism versus collective because you still see that tie right now happening in Russia with Russian media because of course we're going to talk about the war because it's been a year um, where dissent has to be so silenced so quickly because any amount of dissent, immediately cuts across why we're doing this they cannot afford any level of dissent because the facade is so fragile this isn't like you know in the 2000s when we went to war with iraq and everyone supported that even though it was wrong obviously an economic land grab and entirely our fault that the taliban exists to begin with
1: No like, there. there's also a reason that a lot of latin america is unstabilized thanks CIA. yeah like that's our fault that's our fault and also like we knew that they
0: weren't in iraq we knew that we knew it was always afghanistan we are the reason the taliban
1: exi- i don't have time for this but yeah. like oh we, we could go the whole russia being in afghanistan before us anyway sorry go no, we don't have time for this but we all agree
0: i was fucking like a child like yeah let's go we all believed in that the facade there that veneer is so thin that if anyone raises a hand and genuinely asks what the fuck is going on it shatters there's this thing when you're watching a movie called suspension of disbelief and um It tends to happen the more fantastical the movie is, is that, you know, you already have to suspend your disbelief a certain amount when you're watching a depiction of something on film because, you know, that's not real. But the more fantastical it gets, the more you have to suspend your disbelief. And most people have a breaking point for a lot of folks. It's musicals like they can survive a lot of things, but they don't get why everyone would just know this song and why they've all stopped in the middle of the street to sing it. Uh for me I don't remember where my suspension of disbelief broke but I'm not going to bore you guys with that that's sort of like what's going on over there is this war is not going the way anyone expected Uh f- they also were convinced that for whatever reason the US was going to back out and when has the US ever backed out of anything even when we should have
1: I mean we were I- like a drunken man in a bar fight alright <laughs> You were talking to my friend, and I don't like it. Right, and it's like um, it's not
0: even a person we know. <laughs> it's
1: like, although although usually the the um the friend who is another country has to get punched in the face a few times first before we step in. Well, well TBH, we are- it has to be our problem. Bef- usually, before we step in, yeah, Japan, only- Japan punches us in the face, and we're like World War II, let Let's go!
0: Yeah, we're gonna drop the sun twice. <laughs> The only funny skit that Robot Chicken has ever done was a World War II skit um, that I'm not going to disclose the title of because it's bad. But America doesn't get involved until uh, Japan like knocks something over on its desk, and then it gets involved. I just
1: think of um, Eddie Izzard, or Eddie Izzard, if we want to be accurate. (laughs) Because we're watching a Calvary film at the time. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's
0: it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And I am just as empathetic to the Russians on the ground. Um, I don't think that that means that they deserve to die horribly in Ukrainian forests. Um, I'm sure you're aware of where we stand on the side of this conflict. Uh, I would like to point you into the direction of a sticker that we have still in our shop that proceeds do go to charity. Uh, so you see this idea that your individual thoughts can harm the collective, make it about America again. When we finally did start criticizing the war in Iraq, how fast any of that questioning started to bring the whole thing down? Um, there's this really, really weird thing, especially in the US, with like conspiracy theories. Because uh, we're a weird fucking country. We're just weird. And one of the reasons why so many of like the, the, the tentpole conspiracy theories. I'm not going to talk about QAnon because we'd be here all day. But like your 9-11 truthers, your JFK was an inside job kind of thing. Is it really only takes a few people before suddenly you have everyone questioning and how fast that was relatively for both of those events. And that is one of those moments where individualism began to hurt the collective until the collective became people that all agreed in these conspiracy theories. And we can see Russia having a similar crisis of faith because they don't wield the same power of the Orthodox church that they used to. They are also fighting a huge media battle in which they cannot win. This isn't like North Korea where they can control more of the media. People can see the outside world and they have a lot of fucking
1: questions. Well, also, one of the things that, that Pasternak got in trouble for in this book mm-hmm. is he makes a ton of religious references, Orthodox references. Mm-hmm. Big things always happen around um, religious festivals. Um, mm-hmm. There's always mentionings of the certain bells, his uncle being, you know, a defrocked priest. Mm -hmm. All of these little references to orthodoxy and prayer and things like that, things that were very important to the Russian people Mm -hmm. before the revolution where, you know, it was like, okay, atheism is our state religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And you still always had those few people who would like very quietly follow their religion. And now Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, allowed again, you'll see like Putin and other figures pay lip service to it oh this is important this is important but during pastor next time that was another individual choice that was seen to go against the collective absolutely like there's it's
0: it's interesting that despite us both hating this that this felt like a very apt time to read it the next mm-hmm. book we read is also very apt-
1: <laughs> oh my god Welcome to that. I still just remember right before lockdown, us reading *Lord Lord of the Flies*, Flies. so and having these like deep conversations
0: where I am very drunk about how no, I don't think that anyone would do the right thing for others. (laughs) And we were right, and for three years,
1: (laughs) (laughs) we laugh in millennial.
0: Yeah, laughs, laughs in uh, exhausted millennial. Uh, but yeah,
1: really hard. I saw this meme the other day. And it was like, good for you millennials having to plan for a future you don't believe in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have been seeing a lot of that on uh, my various feeds where it's like, oh, the retirement age is increasing. It's like funny for you to assume we'll still exist by this year. Because, <laughs> uh, oh, man, those those oceans sure are rising. And uh, that. Um, toxic explosion that happened in Ohio also happened in Texas mm-hmm. and it's happened in other states and we won't know the full impact of that until many years later but as of now in Ohio um, water is testing very acidic if you th- throw something into a body of water it has an oily sheen and animals are dying Which are check's notes
1: bad. What's really weird is to leave your religion behind and then see all the signs of the apocalypse.
0: (laughs) Well, the apocalypse was a very secular thing for the Greeks because it was really just a it was a turning over of a new leaf, just like Animal Crossing.
1: (laughs) My God. And Amanda makes it about Animal Crossing. I feel like that should be on the bingo card. Um, But, you know, it really
0: was just meant to be, you know, this, like, this... Oh, my God. (laughs) It was meant to just be like this, you know, the the changing of the guard, basically. Uh, Christianity made apocalyptic literature into death, doom, and gloom. Because Christians do not know how to have fun. I mean... The pagans were like, oh yeah, the apocalypse sounds great. As long as you get pissed drunk in the forest, you're fine. I Just mean, wait I for the gods the to... Huh? I want to get pissed drunk in the forest. Yeah, that sounds baller. But it was the Christians that made it like, oh no,
1: there's a fiery
0: whore beast
1: outside. See, I got excited about things like going to Vegas or leaving the state because... I can get edibles in other states. Though so the fiery whore beast at this time sounds
0: quite interesting. Uh, do we want to talk about the author of this book and the book? I see you've written approximately 30,000 notes.
1: Oh, and there's so much more. Okay. <laughs> so, Pastor was born when Russia was still using the Gregorian calendar. Oh, by the way, that got changed over. Or what was No, not the Gregorian. I don't remember. Anyway, the old calendar to the new calendar. So, Orthodoxy had a different calendar than Roman Catholicism. Due to a schism, we don't have time to go into it. Anyway, it got brought back up. So, his birthday shows up in different places as either February 10th or January 29th in 1890. It was more likely February 10th. Go with it. Um, He was born Boris... Leonidovich Pasternak, he had killer cheekbones. The picture I'm like, damn, what the hell? Um, His dad was a post-impressionist painter named Leonid Pasternak. He was a professor at the Moscow School of Painting, Sculpture and Architecture. His mom was a concert pianist and she was the daughter of an industrialist named Rosa Kaufman. Um, They claimed to be descended from a famous Sephardic Jewish philosopher and treasurer of Portugal named Isaac Abarbanel. So this is not so much of a side note, but just so you know, his family was very Jewish, which has never been a popular thing or safe thing to be in Russia. Um, Or anywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Even as as recent as the 90s and, you know, even in the past few years, Russian people have been um, forcefully escorted out of Russia. um, Or Jewish people have. And it's it's not a good thing. No. um, Yeah, I don't really know how to be like... That's fucked up other than that. Anyway, Yeah, he went to school um, in Ukraine and people thought that he went to a military academy. So you see a lot of stuff about him being in a military academy, but it's not true. Um, their school uniforms just look like a military academy uniform, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. He met his friend, uh, Peter Minkaevich, I'm sorry, I'm butchering that, who ended up being the basis of one of his characters in Dr. Mm-hmm. Um He ended up going to Moscow uh, the Moscow Conservatory to study music, and then mm-hmm. later he went to Germany to study philosophy. Because um, Leo Tolstoy was actually a close family friend, and you can see references to Tolstoy a lot in this book. Um, other than the fact that he was a massive cultural icon, um, and people tended to follow his thoughts, um, mm-hmm. so you'll have like Tolstoyism. Um, his dad actually, uh, Pasternak's dad actually did a sketch of Tolstoy on his deathbed. So. Oh.
0: That was nice to them.
1: Yeah, he got a call and it was like, oh, oh not a call. He got a note saying, hey, he he's call. dying in secret. We're going to go hide and do this. He was really close friends with his cousin, Olga Friedenberg, when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. But her family moved to St. Petersburg. They reunited in 1910. They never became lovers. However, they wrote these fever love letters to each other and were very clearly into each other. Um, but they that fizzled out and they became friends. He has a very interesting love life a lot like dr jivago um, i was about to say is that always, gonna is that gonna appear later as possibly a theme <laughs> it is a theme um he based uh, laura is based off of a real person and i'm gonna devote a lot to her so bear with me um pastor Jack ended up falling in love with a woman named ida Wis- Um, she was from a moscow jewish family that were very important and they owned a tea company. Um, mm-hmm. Which is still one of the largest tea companies in the world. Oh, neat. They met um, when Boris's dad was painting her portrait, so he like went along with his dad, and he's like, "That chick is hot." He ended up tutoring um, tutoring Ida in her final classes of high school and helped her prep for finals. Mm-hmm. And then about this time, he goes out to get to study um, in Germany, and everybody's like, "You should get your your degree. You should be, get be a doctorate." And, in german philosophy and he's like i have to go home he ends up like talking to ida being madly in love with her and her family is like who the fuck is this guy persuades <laughs> ida to turn him down for him being like i want to marry you and he ends up writing this whole poem about rejection called marburg which is one of his things he becomes better known for a lot of his poetry until dr Mm shivago all right so at this point in time i stopped taking notes because there was too fucking much and i'm relying a lot on wikipedia which you should never do kids but wikipedia is not a primary source it's not a primary source um so ida was one of the great loves of his life he ends up marrying a woman in 1922 named virginia laurier um she's a student at the art institute they have a son Huh, does that sound like Tanya? A little bit. Um, <laughs> this doesn't last forever. Um, he ends Nothing up bad. getting married to another woman in 1932 named Zededa Nyhaus, um, who is a wife of a Russian pianist. They get divorces and get married two years later. Um, okay. This thing is a fairly common thing for Boris, as you're going to kind of... He sounds like a hot mess. He was a hot mess um he did not like stalin he got into a lot of trouble for writing some horrible things um and then things start to go real bad in mm-hmm. 1937 there was a show trial of two different people and the union is, the soviet writers is requested to sign a document saying they support the death penalty for these two defendants and pastor is like why Why would we do this? We're writers. Why would we support this? Um, And so he refuses. And they break down his door and come to him and say, you're going to sign the fucking document. And he says, no, I'm not doing that. Um, He ends up going to talk to Stalin and being like, this is stupid. Why would you do this? Which. Wow. Um, He was certain he was going to be arrested and Stalin ended up crossing his name off of an execution list. There is an anecdote that says um, he either declared, do not touch this cloud dweller or leave the holy fool alone. Holy fool alone was probably more accurate. There's a concept in Russia of the holy fool of this person is so crazy. They must be a sign from God. Leave them be. Um, That's actually why um, the big famous, uh, come on, you can do this brain. The big famous church in Moscow Is not known by its real name. It's known more by the saint. That was a crazy person. Um, Anyway. So. That's all fun. Um, Olga. Ivinskaya. This is the part that I have been. Hinting at for some time now. This woman was a fucking badass. Um, So. She is 34 years old. She looks a lot like Ida. Which is not lost on historians. And so she is working for this um, paper called the Novimir. And Pasternak meets her because he's working with her. And he's mm-hmm. like, I am into this woman. And just mm-hmm. keep in mind, she's a 34-year-old single mom. She's already been through enough. Um, and Pasternak is still married. He's still married to Zaneda. He doesn't leave Zaneda, but he does start an affair with Olga. Olga ends up becoming the basis for Laura there's a whole book about it called Mm -hmm. Laura um, which I will include in the show notes because it's fucking beautiful um, and insane and so at first she kind of is pushing him away she's like not really into it he calls her basically every day there was a, a uh, recollection from her. says, he phoned almost mm-hmm. every day and instinctively fearing to meet or talk with him, yet dying of happiness, I would stammer out I was busy today. But mm-hmm. almost every afternoon towards the end of working hours, he came in person to the office and often walked with me through the streets, boulevards, and squares all the way home mm-hmm. to yeah. pa- Potapov Street. Shall I make you a present of this square, he would ask. Like, it was a big deal. Everybody knew he was having an affair. Um, he ended up writing a bunch of poetry about her and things like that um in 1948 he told her she should probably quit her job at the november because their relationship everybody knew about it and it was causing a lot of problems at work Mm -hmm. um they both were translating a lot of work at that time so whenever they weren't doing um you know standard writing of their own they would be translating things into russian and this mm-hmm. was a big deal they were part of the the soviet collective of writers which is how they made their money um this is going on everybody knows how much she means to him so on the evening of october 6 1949 the kgb come to her apartment because yes. pasternak is again shooting his mouth off and doing standing up for what he believes in Mm -hmm. Which, there's nothing wrong with that, but unfortunately she- It is in Russia! (laughs) It is in Russia! Um, She is working on a translation and they break into her apartment, they ransack it, they take everything that's associated with Pasternak, and they pile it up in front of her and they're like, this is why you're going to Lubyanka. Lubyanka is like the big prisons, the big KGB place where they torture um, people. And she's interrogated. Um, she refuses to say anything bad about Pasternak. She won't give them any information. At the time, she was pregnant with his child. Mm-hmm. And she ended up having a miscarriage. She is thrown into the gulags for 10 years. The only mm-hmm. reason um, that she gets out... Well, her 10-year sentence. Mm-hmm. She's actually released, I believe, in 1953. Because Stalin dies. Um, yeah, that's a good way to get this- out. Yeah. After this time... Um, Pasternak just starts referring to Stalin as the murderer, which is very dangerous. And something Um, you can do only
0: after he's dead.
1: Yes. Um, but he was doing this before. (laughs) Oh shit. Um, he, at at one point in time was was said that, um, according to an anecdote that everything is finished now, they've taken her away from me. I'll never see her again. It's like death, even worse. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely terrifying for her family. Terrifying for everybody. Um, and he knew that she was in jail on, on his behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, and the secret police let him know that. She's here. You know? The only reason that they couldn't touch him is because she wouldn't squeal. Mm. So I get real upset about this. Wonder why. Um, it's a whole thing. So this book ends up being really, really important as a cultural zeitgeist mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. The most is that after basically all this stuff happens with with Olga, mm-hmm. he starts to finish this book that he's working on, Dr. Zhivago. He's been working on it for about, I think it's 10 years. Um, he finishes it in 1955. He submits the novel to Novimir. And they're like, no, no, we're not publishing this. Um, Honey, no, that's not happening. You have all sorts of stuff in here about individual characters not caring about the progress of society, caring about themselves. Um, You're critiquing the gulags, the great purge, collectivization. You're criticizing Stalin. Your people are real pissed off about the revolution. We are (laughs) not doing that. So he ends up meeting a guy named um, Sergio D'Angelo who is a journalist mm-hmm. and he's part of the Italian Communist Party and he gets sent to the Soviet Union as a journalist and you know, as a journalist and a member of the Communist Party, and he's like, I'm gonna collect all this information about you know, the Soviet Union and I'm gonna share it with my folks because you know we want to make sure that we're following the right path. Um, he ends up getting this information about a book. That Pasternak is working on. Which is Dr. Mm-hmm. Um, And he. Sergio goes. You know I've been asked by this publisher. In Milan. If I find anything that. Could be of interest to western readers. To bring it back with me. And Pasternak is like. Um. Uh. Maybe. Are, are you sure? Mm-hmm. So. He brings out the manuscript from his study, as and he says it's for a laugh, and jokingly says, you're hereby invited to watch me face the firing squad, which is one of the most iconic statements that has been released about this book. So, just, mm-hmm. so you'll hear that a lot when you're researching this. And uh, he's aware he's taking a huge risk. No Soviet author at the time were, was trying to work with a Western publisher. It just was not done. No. Um, so... Sergio's like, well, you know, uh, we'll, we'll take it back and we'll see what will happen. He totally believes that the current, or Pasternak believes the current communist government and stuff like that. And the affiliation, there's no way that this is going to get public, published in Italy. He's think there's no way. Yeah. Um, he's like, they might even just send it back to Russia and say it has to be published in Russia. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Um Olga and Zaneda were both horrified by the fact that he was sending it to a Western publishing house, even if he thought it was a joke. Mm. And um, he had to send all of these things like going, uh, you know what? I want this. I want this to happen. I want this to get published. Um, it's announced that the book is going to be published. Soviet emissaries are falling all over themselves saying, no, you're not publishing this. This is not happening. They Mm -hmm. keep trying to cancel and delay publication. And the Italian publishing company is like, fuck that. Um, They end up going to publish it. Um, The Soviet government forces Pasternak to send multiple cables to the publisher to ask to withdraw the manuscript. But in the meantime, he's sending letters secretly saying, Publish it at all costs. I don't care. This is where it gets good. It gets published in Italy. Mm -hmm. But the CIA finds out about it. And they're like. "Use Something. A fucking tool to get to the Soviet people. So they get this book. They buy a bunch of hard copies of it. Which doesn't go well by the way. Because people are really suspicious. But when they get it into the small little easy to handle version of it mm-hmm. a lot like the paperbacks that they had during the world wars mm-hmm. it becomes a hit and I so it's so. snuck in and people start to read it and see all of these things that they've been lied to about from their government mm-hmm. and so the cia is just absolutely loving it russia hates it um they start this whole campaign against pasternak they like try to take his money away from the the collectivism All that kind of stuff. Um, He ends up in 19, I think it's 1958, winning the Nobel Prize for it. Mm -hmm. Um, They go back and forth going for for several years. We don't know if we should award it to him or not. They finally do. And Mm -hmm. Kostarnek is forced by the state to send a letter to the Nobel Prize team saying that he is unable to accept it, that he's infinitely grateful, but that he will have to decline because he does not feel that it is worthy of the Nobel Prize, which is bullshit, because what they happened was the USSR told him that if he left to go collect the Nobel Prize, he would not be welcomed back in the Soviet Union and he would be exiled, and he had nowhere to go.
0: I mean, in all fairness, they did something... They- this is, like, very similar to what happened to the guy that invented the theremin. Mm-hmm. Oh, Where, yeah. Because I will never forget that. Because these are things Amanda cares about. The inventor of the theremin.
1: So, the end of his life sucked. And sorry, he didn't die of a heart attack. I had that wrong. Um, he ended up dying of lung cancer in his house. And I have a video of his house in our, our notes. Um my brain went what too fast and is- I thought you were going to say, I have a video of him dying. And it's like, no, 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 no. Okay. Um, and he was worried that, you know, she was, that Olga was going to continue to suffer without him, which mm-hmm. was funny because she ended up kind of coming back towards the end of his life. Okay. Um, he, according to a lot of people, he looked really hopeful about dying like he was ready to be done and ready to die <laughs> um and so he ends up dropping dead eventually at his house mhm so some some really fun stuff is there is a writer who um god what is the book called i think it's called the secrets we kept and it's about the CIA and the typing pool like secretly putting the book together in mm-hmm. english and in Russian and and sending things out. Um, there are a lot of documents that have come forth since, you know, cause the CIA and the FBI and stuff will every few decades, I guess, release documentation of this is what happened now that it's safe for us to tell you. yeah. Um, and so a lot of times people kind of put those together. There is a really amazing book. And I think it's like I'm trying to remember what it's called. Um, Cause that's, my brain doesn't work anymore, but it's about Pasternak and Dr. Zhivago and the CIA and all that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why it's such, was such a danger. And so that's really fascinating to read about, but it's a lot. It's a lot. You could, I know we're spending like, I think we're an hour in um, there is so much more you could talk about with this book. There's so much more you can talk about with Pasternak himself, the Mm -hmm. Russian revolution, communism, Russia as a whole. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot. So I mean, realistically, like
0: every part of the (coughs) themes could have been another episode, which is why we're doing such a shitty job at condensing it down because yeah, like there's entire podcasts dedicated just to the Russian revolution, just to talking about communism, just to talking about the KGB. Uh, I will say, though, my favorite uh, piece involving that still is the Deadliest Warrior episode, where it is the Spetsnaz versus the Green Berets. And they eventually do a KGB versus CIA one. Both of those episodes are great because they get like former Spetsnaz and former Green Berets and then former KGB and former CIA. And they hate each other. Like every episode of Deadliest Warrior is predicated on like this, you know, really like weird jingoistic, my shit's better than your shit. But like these guys actually hate each other. <laughs> and
1: like the whole room is just like vibrating. And some fun stuff. If you ever see somebody refer to the FSB now, that's just the KGB. They just got a name change. Um, that happened fairly often. The KGB is just the name we know best because of the cold war
0: yes you know the cold war that
1: was totally fine and chill and everything worked no way oh my gosh there's so many interesting books about members of the cia going to moscow and like being in this building that is so bugged that they can't have conversations in the elevator about Mm -hmm. anything um because headquarters would be built yes i have people in the ussr um so they end up ended up making this room on like the top floor that had special soundproofing and like things to short out devices so that they could have genuine conversations about what they were doing um at one point in time there was like an old fireplace that had been closed off that they had like the USSR folks had put in like listening devices to try and put it up against a wall so they could hear what this person was saying on the inside in their bedroom. Like the extremes that they would go to to try and get information. Um, yeah, you know, people the cold Very chill. Yeah. People would go outside um, and get caught and immediately be sent back home because they were persona non grata. Um, I mean, it was it was intense. Um, it was. You, and you still had people that were, like, coming in to clean and things like that we mm-hmm. were locals. So take that as you will.
0: Yeah. Um, as previously stated, we don't have time to talk about that because we'd be here all day. <laughs> and we kind of have
1: lives?
0: Sort of. Sort of. Uh, so, there are some uh, adaptations, including that three-hour one with Barbra Streisand in it. And there's a Kira
1: Knightley one. The Keira Knightley one like Keira Knightley, when I, when I think is broken up into episodes. I haven't seen either of them because I refuse to pay for it. I mean, I'm not going to fight you on that. That's not going to be the thing I fight you on. I mean, there's a lot of things you'll fight me on, but not that.
0: Stop making me the angry black woman. I don't fight you on it. You're like, not anything. the
1: angry black woman. I'm I just don't saying
0: fight, uh, there are very few things that like we disagree on that heavily. And like the things that we do, like I understand why you feel that way. Um, we have some resources that you will see on the website. Uh, did we have to read this in school?
1: I sure as fuck didn't. Neither did I. And yet here we are. This is what we get for trying to think it's romantic. As I I was saying. I thought it was going to be better. Before we got started, like, right, if you were wondering what I was saying, I was saying Dr. Zhivago gets his dick wet is basically the theme of this book.
0: Yeah. Which is even worse now knowing that he's just like an author avatar, that this is just his fan fiction.
1: Like okay, so Doctor Javago has a kid with Tanya, has a kid with Laura, and mm-hmm. has two kids with Marina. Mm-hmm. Just why? Listen,
0: if we know anything about male authors, is that they're going to find a way to make any book that they write secretly about their sex fantasies.
1: This is not helping me get that Avatar Secret Tunnel song out of my head. This is where we wrap up the show because both of us have problems.
0: (laughs) Uh, Next up, we are reading War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells.
1: Because why not? Uh, Oh my God, we get to watch the Tom Cruise movie. No. You can watch the Tom Cruise movie. I will not be watching the Tom Cruise movie again. I said, no, bitch, you can watch it. So, um, obviously, I used to live in California from mm-hmm. previous conversations. And mm-hmm. I went to Universal Studios right after this, where the Worlds came out, the Tom Cruise one. And so they had, like, the broken down plane yes. on either side of the tour. And it freaked me out so bad, and I'm just like, I know this is fake, I know this is a prop, I know mm-hmm. that all of the buzzing and whirring and weird noises are just electrical things that they're running through this. But just like being in the middle of that, I was like, no, no, get me away from this. I hate okay. this. Okay,
0: I'm gonna, I'm going to like slightly jump ahead. So this was a post 9-11 movie and it's very, very loaded because it's very obviously post 9-11. Like there's a lot of stolen like 9-11 imagery in the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. Knowing that that was produced post 9-11 and hearing that, that sounds fucked. I don't support
1: mm-hmm. that. I don't like that at all. It's, it's a lot. So yeah, that, you know. gotta understand. A man in my generation saw two planes crash into buildings on national television. Yes, when we were kids. Yeah. Then proceeded to see Saddam Hussein's statue get pulled down on live television. Yes. Nothing has ever been normal no. since that point. Um, which is why millennials make a lot of jokes about <laughs> saving for a future I don't have. Is um. I was also going to make a joke about uh, when you said that the
0: author was really ready to die. And I was going to reference the TikTok I sent you yesterday where it was, um, (laughs) if you have to go to bed knowing that you're going to die, you know, what would you do? And it's this woman just like cackling and tucking herself in. But I had to tag it. This is not a cry for help. (laughs) Because if I don't, Tori isn't going to respond to that TikTok. I'm going to get a phone call because out of context, apparently. That's a cry for help. <laughs> did you send it to Amber too? Did no, Amber... <laughs> because she would call the police. <laughs> I did not send it to Amber. She's been very worried about me. I did not send it to her because I would the sad bitch button would return. It would rise out of the grave. And I would have a welfare check called in on me.
1: I haven't thought about the sad bitch button in a while. <laughs>
0: Uh, the, it's looming specter haunts me. So, we're gonna read War of the World and hopefully not have too many uh, PTSD flashbacks. Uh, Victoria, where can the kind people find
1: us? So we're all over social media. Do we check it? Oh, that's a whole other thing. Listen, um, okay. On-
0: Twitter has become a nightmare. I used to love Twitter. But ever since Elon Musk took over... I can't. I can't. I'm trying. It's hard.
1: Oh no, that's not a critique. Um, we are on Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook. Unfortunately are on Twitter. Unfortunately Required on Instagram. And UnfortunatelyRequiredReading.com, which is the one thing that gets updated all the time. Yes, it is. The, the one place. <laughs> I Because I have problems and I get lazy slash exhausted. Um, and if you ever so want to email I'm us, so tired yeah we are old and tired um unfortunately required reading at gmail.com is yes. emails,
0: and we do occasionally check that inbox Sometimes. uh i i said occasionally twitter we have we're professional podcasters we have to make it sound <laughs> we have to like we have to be like uh phil defranco sign minus the fence sitting that i think is insufferable i have no idea who that person is Phil DeFranco is a YouTube personality who does like this like quasi news show. But the thing about Phil DeFranco is that he's like a lot of internet provocateurs where he loves to sit on the fucking fence like an asshat. So there could be someone who's doing like objectively terrible things and he has really strong opinions about some things, but the things that he should also have strong opinions about, he doesn't. So he's sort of like a, he's like a room temperature Joe Rogan. Well, like, I definitely don't think he's that bad. He does give a lot of people who don't deserve credence too much credence. But then we'll get like wildly passionate about like two or three things to the point that it's like, do you have nothing better to do? So I used to like Phil DeFranco until he started doing that shit. And then I stopped. I stopped watching him the same year I stopped watching uh, Game Theorist and MatPat, because I got really, really tired of this white man self-inserting into everything that has nothing to do with him. I hope you're listening, Matthew. I don't like you.
1: Are you like Stalin, and you're like leaving his name on the execution list? I don't think he, I don't think he deserves that. I just... I watched a lot of
0: MatPat because, and this might be a surprise, I really like Five Nights at Freddy's lore. Love the lore. No, it Thanks. Love the lore. And he used to do a lot of like lore deep dives, which I liked, but then he would just be like blatantly wrong about things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can't hang with this. And the fact that he just like inserts into everything. We're not talking about the book. Thank you to those who uh, support this podcast financially. We appreciate it uh you can do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading and there's a support word in there somewhere but I've had elderflower vodka and I want Chinese food to take a nap
1: that sounds amazing doesn't it (laughs) I think I'm gonna take a nap because I had to get up early for that blood draw and now I'm like you did you did
0: I want to say it's support.anchor or slash. Listen, we put the support link in everywhere. Just if you want to give us money, you can give us money. There's also merch, which I need to do a backlog of. So if you have sticker designs, please let us know. I will probably be taking requests. Victoria, you can put in your request because you are my (laughs) co-host.
1: I steal phrases from the show and send them to Amanda and laugh continually. Laugh with us.
0: Yes. Um, Listen, it, it it do be kind of crazy out there right now. <laughs> uh,
1: the I mean, it started and never stopped.
0: <laughs> the years do start coming and they don't stop coming, huh?
1: So I quoted that at Mark last night. I said, in the immortal words of Smash Mouth, and yeah. The years wow. sure do start coming and they don't
0: stop coming. Uh, so... Be kind to each other. I know I don't have to worry about any of y'all, our dear listeners, because you guys seem like you're pretty chill. But be kind to one another. The earth is literally ending. Everyone's going to die. There's no point in being an asshole. But also, like, listen to women fuck abusers. Not fuck as in have sex with them. Fuck as in put them on an island somewhere and ignore them.
1: Strike uh, them repeatedly with something heavy.
0: Yeah. Um drag queens are not groomers. They're 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 just not uh and trans people are fine. They're great. Leave them alone. Let them be. I don't know why I referred to a trans person like a zoo animal, but like, just leave them alone. <laughs> they're doing their thing over there. Just leave them alone. <laughs> Now, um, if you'll excuse me, I have to go find tickets to see Cocaine Bear. <laughs> we'll
1: see you guys in the next one. Bye. Cocaine Bear and Chinese food. I love yeah. it. Bye. Go read a book or something. Yeah, go read, go read
0: a book. Yeah, fuck. Bye.